Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. So David, we are now unbelievably on chapter nine of the Business of Injecting episodes. Yeah, they have flown by. We've flown by. We've, we're moving continents uh, this morning. We've, we had a first podcast from the, well, a person from the UK who was in San Francisco. And now we're talking to a lovely injector in Canada. Yeah. So we welcome one of our patrons, Mar- uh, Marissa Dennis. Marissa, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? We are awesome. Um, and... I believe you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, but maybe, you know, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us how you came about the podcast, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been injecting for just about 10 years now. I most recently opened my own clinic um, earlier this year, actually technically in January. And I also have a sister company that I do private training and online training with as well that I started about two years ago. And I discovered your podcast I think I was actually just looking up aesthetics podcast, uh, looking through my podcast app or whatever, and came across yours probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, started listening then. I still haven't heard every episode. I listen <laughs> to it every week, and then I try and catch up on one that I that I had missed from before. And um, yeah, I actually I recommend it um, as I work as a clinical trainer, so I actually usually recommend it as on my list of resources that I oh, give to uh, clinics that I go out to. So yeah, yeah no, it's it's very helpful for all aspects of injecting. Thank you. That's great. It's good feedback. And is it weird to talk to us after being listening to it for so long? It, it's sort of like, is it sort of a bit a bit weird? It, it is a little bit, but at the same time, you know, if you if you watch and listen to your podcast, it's almost like you feel like you already know you got. Yeah. Oh, I've heard your voices so often, and then being a Patreon, Patreon, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, you know, we're in the chat groups together, so I see a lot of your uh, comments pop up in there. So I do feel like, oh, it's like we already know each other. Oh, cool. oh, that's nice. Well, let's use this as a uh, a plug. What is Patreon and what, what value are you getting it from it? Because, you know, I'm happy to, to take criticism as well. Like, what could we do better as well? But but also, what do you get from it? I mean, I think, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening already knows what it is. The platform where you, you can be a, a teacher or a listener and you can have your own platform for different people to sign on and give them lessons. So you guys offer a multitude of lessons each week. And I think that for the most part, I mean, they're always super valuable. They're aimed at, you know, anywhere from beginners to advanced injectors, which I really appreciate the diversity there. You guys do a lot of talk about business. Um, Obviously, that's the the focus of today's podcast as well. But I think that that's super helpful because as a medical provider, we're, we're trained in medical 
medical stuff. And then as an aesthetics provider, you're trained in aesthetics. So you learn techniques um, and skills and product biology. However, the one thing you don't learn about is business and, you know, how to market yourself, how to have a business, how to do any of those uh, side business things, which I feel like at least in Canada, that's not something that we are prepared for at all. So you're just kind of thrown out there um, and just making it up as you go and making a lot of mistakes along the way. And so I think you guys really offer a great platform for learning. In addition to that, you guys have the WhatsApp chat group, (laughs) which are fantastic. Um, There's a lot of really experienced clinicians in there uh, who all have really great points of view and things to say. So it's just a really good, diverse community in terms of communication and support when there are any questions that come up. Awesome. And we are doing a seven-day free trial at the moment. Yes, we are actually. So if you're listening and you're thinking, what the hell is she talking about? (laughs) Um, Just go to uh, the easiest places to go is our website, which is worldwideinsideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can read about what it is before you sign up, but then you know, just click at the bottom, sign up and uh, explore it. Yeah. It's free for seven days. So you yeah. don't need to commit. Join our crazy worldwide community. There's uh, there's some interesting banter that goes on in those chat groups. I, I, must admit, sure. I, I struggle to keep up with them, but um, it's good. People sort of dip in and out when they need certain bits of advice. And there's, there's people who are beginners right through to super advanced people like yourself and, and Dan's on there. And we've got some other some other big hitters from around the world as well. So thanks for that. Good to get your feedback. Is there anything you think we could do better that you'd like to see more of or less of? Um, I mean, I really enjoy the way you guys have divided up the chats now so that you have different chats kind of based on the the different topics that we have. So you've got your skin, your injectables, your business, uh, your device chat, um, your regenerative medicine chat, and then just your general chat. So uh, lots to talk about Negronis, which when you're trying to like, you know, do maybe like a couple days like without drinking or a month without drinking, it's really hard. I'm like, Negronis. <laughs> and then the pictures pop up. Um, but I mean, in terms of, of what you could do better, honestly, I think you guys, you're just continually improving it um there's a guide to to follow which i think is really helpful and fantastic so i actually have no suggestions for how to improve it you guys are fantastic thank you awesome we'll pay you later marissa (laughs) don't worry (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 exactly no worries we'll talk about that off camera so so enough about enough about us tell us more about you so obviously you're an injector you're from canada you're a nurse practitioner so just give us the give us the marissa backstory so everyone knows who you are and they're familiar with you as they are with us yeah absolutely so i mean i started nursing back in 2007 as a registered nurse i worked in emergency icu i did some mental health addictions uh lots of different areas which i really love i moved to the okanagan in early 20 15, 2014, I want to say, which is when I started in aesthetics, uh, immediately fell in love with everything about it. Uh, had a trainer come in to do some training on a new product when I was about three or four years into it. Said to that trainer, this is what I want to do. I, I love teaching. Um, that was always my goal was actually to be an emergency educator, but then I found aesthetics. And shortly after that, I think it was about six months that educator after left the, actually left the role she was in. So that gave an opening for me to go into that education role, which I have been in since then, uh, working for a company here that distributes um, the RHA line that you guys are familiar with, mm-hmm. the Jackson yeah. RHA line. Yeah, and as well as Nuceva. So I've been working for them for quite a while. And then when I was working in that role, I continued to work in aesthetics. I went back to school, did my master's, got my nurse practitioner. I was waiting for a while because here in British Columbia, they actually didn't allow nurse practitioners to do aesthetics at all. So I still had to do it under my RN license. Uh, Meanwhile, the 
our college was coming up with a scope of practice change. So I had a tiny little bit of input on that as well, pushed that along, I feel like, because I would call them pretty much on a monthly basis and ask, hey, has this changed yet? It was really just a giant pain in the butt until it did. (laughs) And then I decided to open my own clinic, which I had already decided on. But as soon as that changed for us, then I found a place and built myself a nice little clinic, which we just officially opened in January. And then on the private training side of things, as I was working as a trainer, I would come across a lot of clinicians who were newer clinicians who'd maybe just done a two-day training and they really learned, you know, oh, this is what I know how to do. Patients come in, they want a cheek. I do a cheek. Mm. Did you learn how to assess the patient properly? No. We, you know, we don't know. Are, are they appropriate to have their cheeks done? Did you look at their temples? Did you do this? Did you do that? And I found that there was a lot of that lacking. Um, and I was ending up doing a lot of that during my training. So mm. then I decided I should be doing that as a separate thing because it takes longer than the two hours I was allotted to do that. So that's kind of what started that aspect of it. And then along the way, I recently joined the um, board the Can- or the board of directors for the Canadian Society of Aesthetic Specialty Nurses, mm. which is our society here. And they're trying to kind of push the specialty forward within Canada. I don't know. I know how the landscape is there a little bit, but essentially there aren't really a lot of regulations here in terms of standards of education, standards of practice when it comes to aesthetics. It's a little bit of the wild west out here still. So I've got a question. You're very experienced injector and that's super impressive. So congratulations. But how do you feel you are with your business acumen? Because you've you've opened your clinic, I think you said a year ago or so, your mm-hmm. training school two years ago. So how's that journey been for you? Um, it's been interesting. It's been full of a lot of bumps along the road. I am lucky in the sense that my husband has a business degree. So when he's not busy running his own business, he's been able to kind of throw me a couple little pieces of information here and there. However, I believe a lot of it was trial and error to start. One of the best things I think I did was I hired a business coach. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so that really helped a lot. I, you know, I didn't even understand what PL statement was or KPI was. She was talking to me about them and I said, hold up, what, what does that stand for? Mm. <laughs> What's a KPI? Why, why do I care about this? Um, so I think that that was really helpful. I, I learned a lot. Uh, from working with a business coach. And then I was able to take that from one company uh, to the other and translate that. Well, you're singing David's language here. Um, We just recorded recorded another podcast uh, this morning talking about some of these things. And one of the things that uh, we were talking about clinical software and CRM systems. And one of the issues that most clinics have is they don't know what data to put in and therefore the data that comes out is useless or or not even looked at. So what did your business coach focus on to talk about you running your clinic? Obviously the clinical side is up to you and and you'll decide what treatments you do and so on. But how did they teach you? How long did it take? What what was the investment for that? And, and, And is that journey still ongoing? Yeah, so we started working together, I want to say in October of last year. Uh, We worked very closely together for about six months. She had uh, online resources, an online course available to me, which I have lifetime access to, which goes over all the different forms and stuff that she gave me um, and goes through the different lessons. And then we had one-on-ones every week um, up until about a month ago. And then I stepped back a little bit. I've gone more to a group 
setting where I still have access to the course and I still have access to my business coach, but it is in more of a group setting or just the tech spaces as opposed to the hourly um, or the one-on-one meetings every week that were about an hour long. So it is still ongoing because I do like to get her feedback and I just don't feel quite ready to let go of my training wheels. Uh, but I'm close. I'm, I'm very close to, to feeling like maybe I don't necessarily need her to hold my hand anymore. So I'm getting more and more independent with the business stuff. In terms of investment, it was about $2,000 Canadian a month. And I think our dollar is fairly par with your dollar. So uh-huh. I think that would probably be the same as the Australian for the initial investment. And then for the past, for the next six months, I want to say, I think it's about $4,000 for the full six month package. He started out having me go through and do treatment costing. So figuring out how much each treatment costs me in terms of, you know, how much gauze I'm using to how much many pumps of chlorhexidine I'm using to how much time it takes either myself or a staff member um, to, to do that treatment. So we started with that. And then in terms of the CRM that you're discussing, um, which is the customer retention management software, uh, we do pay attention to the customers, how the percentage I'm booked. So based on my availability, how often am I booked up? Is it at 80%? Um, The goal is to stay over 80% for bookings. And if it's dipping down, why is it dipping down? We look at uh, patient retention. So how many patients are coming back for their scheduled appointments um, and how many have fallen off the radar. We also look at the daily revenues. So uh, what the average check is per patient um, based on the month. So every month we review these numbers and have a look saying, okay, you're 80% booked, you normally see 10 patients a day, this is whatever it is, your daily average check should be X amount of dollars. And then we go from there and we try to see how we can adjust things so that I'm hitting those targets. Mm. And was your business coach from within the industry? Was there, I guess? Yes. Oh, they were. Okay. So, and, and what was their background just out of, I'm just asking for a sort of, I guess, selfish oh. reasons, just kind of to see what was sort of what, what's out there and when sort of who, who else is yeah. sort of, yeah, doing these sorts of, I guess, services. It's, it's interesting for me to learn too. Of course, of course. So she is based in Toronto and her background, um, she did a lot of spa management. So definitely yeah. some medical aesthetics. She was actually uh, suggested to me, recommended to me by a colleague of mine in Toronto. And her base, yeah, her background is mostly the spa industry. So she's done the medical side of it as yeah. well. But she does do a lot of focus on, you know, patient journey in terms of, of touch points and, you know, making, doing those extra little things to make it special for your patient. Yeah. Um, and set you apart from what the other clinics around might be offering. Yeah. And that's great. And it sounds like she's teaching you how to fish rather than fishing for you, which is something that I think from a from a business coaching perspective, it's easy for people to sort of want you to give them the answers all the time. But I think giving people the skills and the understanding mm-hmm. of what it is that they need to do and why they need to do it, because for me, a, a successful consulting client is someone that potentially doesn't need you after six to 12 months and then it is there as a resource, as a, as a sounding board on an ad hoc basis is to really try and help you guys get to a point where you're, you're pretty self-sufficient. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's the goal. And I think, like I said, I mean, it's been almost a year and I feel like I'm, I'm very close. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I mean, I don't believe most injectors do that, but again, we were talking about this yeah. this morning. It's, it's incredible how someone would set up any business, but let's call it an injecting business where, where you don't know those things. And so whilst injectors seem so happy to invest in, you know, Botox course, filler course, advanced filler course, very few people would commit to a business course. 
uh, and, and especially mm-hmm. ongoing. So sounds like you've done the smart thing, but what would your advice be to people who, who maybe haven't? Like how, how helpful has it been for you? I honestly, it has been game changing. I don't, I, I wouldn't do it without this. I don't think I would be flying blind. I don't think I would understand if I was even making money every month. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to scale. I'm, I've hired um, a receptionist, a medical esthetician, a nurse, and soon to be another nurse practitioner to work with me. So I think it has just been, it, it's helped me grow exponentially. And even just knowing what it is I need to be doing, what it is I need to be focusing on, even if I'm not the one, you know, putting the profit and loss statements together, I know how to look at them. And I know, you know, oh, did I make money this month? Did I not make money this month? Because as much as we love injecting, um, at the end of the day, we're all here for a job and we all need to need to be successful in terms of, of making money. So I think that it's been, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Do you think it's made you a better injector in terms of the fact that you don't need to be wondering or pondering these things anymore? Because I would imagine that there's potentially a risk of knowing that your things aren't running properly, that you're not really too sure, but just kind of, it's always floating in the back of your mind. Am I doing the right things? Am I making the right decisions? Do you think it's had an impact on on your practice in general, other than just, I guess, the profit and loss side of things, just from a a mindset perspective? I think that's a good question. And I think so. Yes, because I'm able to, yeah, I'm able to focus more on the patient yeah. knowing that that I, I have my time set aside on my Mondays. I usually do my administrative work. I have my time set aside to do that and review that. So on the day-to-day, I'm able to fully be present with my patients. And then again, like I said, she she has kind of helped me incorporate extra little touch points to make that patient journey um, really special and really important. And also just to keep that connection with my patient in the sense that you know, before when I worked without her, my patients would leave and I'd say, okay, great. We'll see you in three to four months. <laughs> and now they leave and I have them booked in for their next appointment when they leave. Every yeah. single patient is always booked in for their follow-up, their their next neuromodulator treatment, their next filler follow-up, whatever it is, they're booked in for something so that we continuously have that contact. And my patient retention has, has gone up quite a bit. Yeah. What is your patient retention? I mean, if you're comfortable to say, do you know, do, did you sort of take a, like a, a, yeah. A mark before you started and sort of where it's at now. Are you happy to share that kind of information? Yeah. I didn't actually take a mark before I started. Right. Um, but I was kind of I can tell that, that my patient <laughs> retention is better just by yeah. seeing the amount of patients that have come back. So I'd say it I'm at about 80, 85 percent. Wow, that's good. Um, last I looked, which which I think is is quite good. I mean, yeah. obviously you're, you're gonna lose some along the way. People people move, people mm-hmm. change their minds, people get pregnant, yeah. whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it, I mean, I guess that that sort of changes the dynamic of your business quite a lot. And Jake and I were talking about this on the last episode. So there's a bit of crossover in some of the themes that we're talking about. But one is when you've got such a high retention rate, it, it changes the dynamic of your business because all of a sudden you're not desperate to try and bring new patients into your business. There's obviously, as you said, there's a there's an expected amount of uh, attrition, which is just, as you said, people moving, getting pregnant, life circumstances changing. But when you've got something like a 70, 85, 85%, which is huge, retention rate, you know that like, you know, if you're seeing 10 patients in a day, eight to nine of those people are going to be returning patients to you. And so it just gives you, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and you obviously can speak to this, just gives you a level of comfort and, and calmness with your day, knowing that all those names on the list, like almost all of them, you know who they are, you know, where they're at on their journey, they're on 
they're part of your tribe. So these people are with you because they resonate with who you are as an injector, the sort of results that you give them, the way that you make them feel. So you've actually then created a, a client base and, and, a, and a day-to-day operation of people who are part of almost your extended family. There's a familiarity there. You're not sort of walking in and saying, well, God, I wonder what these six patients are going to, seven patients are going to be like. Are they going to be crazy? Are they going to be aligned aesthetically with what I'm able to do? Is there some psychological disorder that I need to try and sort of identify and find out whether they're right or not? Are they prepared to spend the kind of money that I'm charging for the treatments? And then the new patients that come in, a large proportion of those, I would assume if you've got such a high retention rate, would be a product of referrals. So people who refer are going to be referring people who are probably like-minded. I mean, you hang out with people who you've got commonalities and and share values with. So you quite often would find that those new patients are going to be self-perpetuating through your returns and they're going to be similar to what you're already doing. And I think that's one of the challenges a lot of injectors have is that they end up seeing patients they don't really like, they're doing treatments they're not comfortable doing, they don't know how to say no. There's a lot of uncertainty and, and sort of you know nervousness about what each day is going to look like. So that's just sort of my take on it. But I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are. I mean, does that does that sort of resonate with you? Have you sort of take have you sort of taken time to notice that sort of where you're at now? And and how does that make you feel as, as a business owner and an injector? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry, long question there. So. <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> I, I take it all in, but no, I yeah. fully agree with what you're saying. It's given me the opportunity to really develop very long-term relationships with my patients. Um, I tend to do longer consults, even with my new patients. I book an hour-long consult, which I, I do charge for. Uh, and if they get treatment, then I take that off the treatment. However, if they don't, I keep that as a consult fee, just as an aside. But I'm able to spend a lot of time with them and I explain to them, this is this is the way I do things. I like to build these long-term relationships. This shouldn't really be a, a one and done. I'd like to continue to see you back, you know, over the next year, two years, three years. Um, if I'm not the person for you, then, then that's okay. I don't mind that. But I do recommend that you find one injector and you stick with them so that, you know, you're not getting your face Frankenstein together in, in the sense that one person is doing your neuromodulator, one person is doing your cheeks, you go see the next person, they do your lips and, and, you know, there's really no cohesivity. So I think it's really given me an opportunity to be able to do that. Um, and then, like you said, like attracts like, so the patients that I have that are very used to the way that I do things, they're used to the way I inject. They know that I like to balance full faces. They know that I like to, you know, do things in stages and they prepare any referrals that they have for that. So when anyone comes in, they already know what to expect. Oh, we heard about you. We know that you do it like this and we know that you, you inject like this and they, they're already aware. So nothing is really like a shock to them as they come in. Um, yeah. And I, and I really like that. I mean, at this point, when a lot of my patients come in, some of them have been with me for, for the 10 years I've been injecting. Some of them are newer. Obviously, every time you move clinics, you lose a few patients. But uh, I've developed like long-term relationships. I've seen some of them through marriages, children, divorces. So it's it's really interesting. Yeah. Do you find the same thing, Jake? I mean, we, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't want to keep on referencing our previous podcast, but the, 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 not oh, just maybe, re- maybe let's tell people what the previous podcast was. So if they want to go well, and it was last to- week's episode with uh, Dr. Ascari Townshend. Yeah. So listen to that one maybe before this one. But yeah, yeah look, well, not just looking after your, you know, regulars and making them feel welcome and treatment planning, all the things that Marissa has said, but also tapping back into your database. For those odd few who haven't booked in for whatever reason, just, you know, utilizing your CRM system to actually 
get back in touch with them or remind them or market to them or, but in a way that's obviously not going to be pushy or salesy. It's a, it's just utilizing your data better because, you know, we all forget and, you know, these things happen. Um, I wanted to touch on something that you said earlier, and it was a really important point that maybe we glossed over is you charge for your time and you take, let's call it a deposit or a consult fee. And if the mm-hmm. patient doesn't go ahead with the treatment, that is not refunded to them. You you keep that as your consult fee. I do exactly the same. And of course, in the past, I didn't. Um, and, and I learned a big lesson from that is that people don't value your time if there's no fee associated with it. And so many injectors out there listening won't be in that situation yet. They may be newer in their in their journey or working for a, a clinic that just doesn't do that. But can you explain why that is so important and, and how it's helped your business and, and you value your time? Yeah, I mean, so when I first started injecting, I worked at, at a place where we offered free consults. Um, and then up until I was on my own, essentially, that is the landscape here. I don't think that there are many injectors charging for their consults here. So I started doing that um, as you mentioned, as a respect for my time. So, you know, here in the Okanagan in the summer, especially people are on boats, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're wine touring, they're doing whatever, and and you get no shows and you get last minute cancellations. So taking a deposit helps to stop that behavior um, because now these people have put in money. And really at the end of the day, if I want to go get my nails done, I have to give a deposit. So Mm. why would I not put a deposit down to to see a medical professional about a, a larger scale treatment. So I think that that's really important just in terms of respecting my time, because if I respect my time and value my time, then my patients will as well. And as I mentioned, you know, um, if, if they do go ahead with treatment within a three month time period, I will say, okay, that money that you put on your consult, that $200 that goes towards uh, any treatment you receive within three months, or even if you, you purchase product, I'm, I'm happy to do it that way. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just to, to stop getting any any no-shows and last-minute cancellations it helps with. And then again, they, they value your time and they value your opinion. And they say, oh, okay, you know, this person charges for her time. She must actually, like, she really knows what she's talking about. And I get into, as I mentioned, really long in-depth con- consultations. So my consultations aren't 15 minutes long. They're, you know, half an hour to an hour, depending on what we're consulting for. So I, I do spend quite a bit of, of time with them. And I've never had a patient complain that I've charged for my consultation yeah. time. They understand because they say, oh, well, you know, you, you took this amount of time to talk to me. And I've even had patients who come in for a, a five, 10 minute follow up and then gone to the front to pay for it. And I said, oh, no, that's fine. Like, you don't have to pay for the follow up. And I'm like, oh, are you sure? You know, we, we, we talked about other things. And I said, oh, yeah, no, that's like, that's fine. That, that's part of the initial service. Yeah. I, th- I think people don't associate any value with things that are free. It's not like they're picking on medical yeah. professionals. It's anything. If, it, if it's free, it must be worthless. And therefore, there's, mm-hmm. there's no there's no respect there for that. Uh, that's just sort of my thoughts on it, but it, se- it seems logical in, in my brain. Mm. Uh, what do you have any tips for people on how they can build rapport with their patients, especially when you're doing a first time consultation? Because I think that a lot of those initial discussions can can sort of set the tone for the for the re- for the relationship. And making people feel comfortable so that they open up, they're open to suggestions and happy to talk about their insecurities or things that are really bothering them. So do you have any tips that, that you've learned along the way that help you create that rapport or that, that, that comfort in your patients that they're 
happy to have those open and honest discussions with you so that you can get to, you know, I guess the fun part for you guys, which is administering the treatments, but there's a, there's a, you know, there's a path you have to walk first before you get to that point. So keen to know, you know, any insights or tips you've got. Yeah. So I, I mean, I typically start off my consults, you know, I, I get a little bit of a personal information from them. I don't just jump right into, Hey, why are you here? Tell me, tell me what's wrong with your face. You know, I, I ask them about you know their, their life. Are they from here? There's a lot of people from other places. Um, and I try to find some commonalities in terms of, you know, someone we know or, or somewhere we're from or something we enjoy doing. Um, a lot of my patients are moms. I, I don't have kids, but, you know, they might mention that a pet and then I'll make a joke. Like I have a pet tortoise. He's very easy to care for. <laughs> not, not quite I do. I do have a pet tortoise. Cute. He's very easy to care for. <laughs> Well, he's not, not going to run away too quickly. So, you know. No, he's actually a lot faster than you would think. Oh, really? He like, can't climb anything. He can't really get it. Like, he could just go around on the floor and, and, <laughs> and do a perimeter check. That's really all he does. And then he falls asleep in a corner. He's very tired all the time. Um, but yeah, so I try and find some common ground. I do take notes on, on those particular personal aspects that they mention. If they mention their kids, their ages, if their kids are in hockey or whatever, I make sure to take notes. Same thing if they're going on vacation, anything that's happening so that next time they come in, I can always refer back to that. Um, I wish that I could remember all of those things. However, I just can't. Yep. So then that way, when they come back, you can have that connection and they go, oh, hey, you you remembered about my my sick mother or the vacation we were taking to Mexico or, or what have you. So I find that that's super helpful. Um, and then I usually start off the consultation. You know, I, I give them a mirror and I say, you know, tell me what brought you in here today. I try not to push my own agenda at all. I, I usually let them lead the lead the conversation. Um, I will continually ask questions like, okay, is there anything else? Is there anything else? Until the point where we get till there's nothing else. And then I'll usually just reiterate everything they said. These are the things you pointed out to me. Um, you know, do you mind if if I give you my opinion and, and things that I've noticed or or my suggestions now? And I'll always just ask for permission before I jump into to my suggestions. And then I'll usually just walk through their main concerns, their top priorities, uh, and what the options are for them in that sense. I do have a treatment plan built in my head. Um, I've had people come in and they have significant volume loss. And in my head, I'm going, okay, I'm going to dress your temples and your mid-face and your piriform fuss. I'm going to do some jaw restructuring. I'm going to do your lips. And the only thing that bothers them is the line between their eyes. <laughs> so, you know, if that's what they've come in for, I, I don't jump into everything else. Um, I just give it some time. Maybe that first consult, I might've booked a half an hour when maybe it's only actually going to be 15 minutes because that's all they came in for. That's all they want to talk about. Um, the only thing I will kind of force conversation about is, is sunscreen. Yeah, that's 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 a given. All of my patients, I'm like, you need to be wearing sunscreen. But anything else, I just let them lead it, uh, and then I'll always ask if if they're okay if I make my suggestions. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I I learned something from an injector not too long ago, and I'm sharing it with everyone that's willing to listen. I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast before. Is when people sit in that chair, inevitably, it's it's a negative conversation because either you or they are pointing out things about their face or their appearance that they don't like. And someone had sort of inverted that that proposition and handed the patient the mirror and said, "Tell me three things about your face that you love." Uh, was that I, Julie Kaplan? Sorry, no, no I don't Kaplan. think so. I can't, I can't remember who no. it was, but I thought that was really interesting because I mean, this person told me that like one of their patients started crying when someone said that to them because they'd never they're always focusing on the things that are wrong or that they don't like or that need improving rather than focusing on what it is about them that makes their face unique or beautiful. 
and sort of building a, building a conversation around what it is that makes them an individual. So if they've got beautiful eyes or they've got beautiful shaped lips and getting them to recognise that, you know, there is, you know, that there is positives in, in everyone's appearance and rather than just continually pointing out negative things, it just sort of tends to change the... The, the tone of the conversation and, and starts it in a positive way around how do we then correct these other things to further enhance what it is about you that makes you stand out as an individual. What, what do you, what do you think about yeah. that? I, I think that that's an excellent way to do it. Um, that is usually when I go to make my suggestions, yeah. I'll say, Hey, I, I think we should address this. It would really highlight your eyes. Yeah. Right. It would really, mm. you know, bring, bring the eyes back up so then everyone can see these beautiful blue eyes that you have. So instead of saying, Hey, we need, I don't, I don't like to use the word correct in, yeah. in my consultation, yeah. even though, you know, it's, it's part of my treatment plan, but I do like to talk about, you know, highlighting um, different areas of the face or, you know, restoring volume to, to areas that might have lost it because of physiological reasons, sure. um, which, you know, everyone ages the same. And I always reassure them, Hey, this is part of it. Everyone ages the same, you know, we all lose volume here. So, you know, re bringing some volume back to that area would help to bring the eye back up. And, and highlight the eyes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm sort of in the middle. I, I, I don't ever say this is wrong in your face, and I never say this is perfect. It's always making someone feel comfortable that aging is normal. Yeah, we all get mm -hmm. these things in in different patterns, I guess. But you know, I always reassure people: you don't need to feel funny about being here. It's not superficial to worry about whatever we're talking about. It's normal but let's just make it a bit better so you can not be distracted by it when you look in the mirror and you just get on with your life. So I don't know. I just, just normalizing, mm. uh, what cool. I guess is still a treatment maybe in itself that makes it medical and a bit taboo for some people. Mm. I don't know. It's just, it's the language. I think it's, it's not so much what you're saying, but it's the language of how you say it. Yeah. And I, th I think people potentially, and, and Marissa, I'm keen to get your opinions as well. Like there's traditionally been like negative connotations for people wanting to go and have these treatments, like it's self-indulgent and superficial and you shouldn't care about those things and you're vain and, 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 and silly if you, and you go and do them. But I mean, we all wear not try and wear, you know, when we go out, we would try and wear nice clothes. We like, you know, well, not me, I don't brush my hair, but you know, Jake does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we all want to put our, our best face forward, our, our best appearance forward. So I think that um, it's not just about vanity. It's about, as you said, feeling comfortable so you can sort of get on with your day and, and yeah. sort of look the way that you feel. I, I really feel a lot of injectors probably or new injectors aren't educated about this. They're taught to do a treatment. It's almost like delivering mm -hmm. filler in a face, but they're not thinking about the psychology or the art behind it. Whereas if we speak in more language like we're going to make people more empowered and confident, not I'm going to treat your tear troughs. It, it's so much nicer to think of it in that way. So, yeah, I had a funny story about tortoises. I was just thinking <laughs> <laughs> we used to have a tortoise when I was about, I don't know, I think it was really young, like three or four. And my sister was about seven. Don't ask me why. I called him Ablond. I still remember his name. And he lived in our garage, in our garden, honestly. And one day, Ablond went missing. And my parents, for years, told us that he escaped. And it never crossed my mind that how the hell could a tortoise escape from a box <laughs> and from the shed? Turned out he died. And it was just a nice story to tell us that Ablond decided to, to escape. 
So poor Ablond. Just I thought you were gonna tell me you ended up in someone's soup or something. No, <laughs> no definitely not. But uh, anyway, moving on. I just it just reminded me of a really, really old memory. Um well, something I wanted to ask about is you, you obviously worked for someone previously to open your clinic. So what was the motivation and I guess light bulb moment where you thought, right, I'm gonna go it alone and do my own thing and let's explore how you did that. I think for me, it was, I wanted to do things a very specific way. And when you work for someone else, you, you know, you have to kind of bend their rules. So however they do things, for example, you know, my previous employer offered free consults, which, which worked for them and worked for the clinic. Um, you know, at my previous employer's places, we also had to do all of the treatments. So we had laser treatments, we had devices, we did microdealing, we did chemical peels. Um, and the nurses, we ha- we did all of the treatments. And some of those treatments I didn't really love doing. I love doing injectables. And that that's what I like doing. So part of it was that I just wanted to do things the way I wanted to do them and I wanted to do them my way. Um, I've also never really done well with people telling me what to do just personally <laughs> as a person. Um, I, I've always, you know, I, I like to do again, the things the way that I want to do them. And I like to be in charge and I don't like to listen to other people necessarily. <laughs> unless I want to. <laughs> so I think that was a big part of it. Um, you know, I had a vision for, for how I wanted my patients to feel and, and what the kind of environment I wanted them in and, and how I wanted them to go through the entire clinic. So I think it was always, there, there wasn't really a light bulb moment. Essentially, as soon as I found aesthetics and realized, hey, I can actually do something of my own on my own, um, I started working towards it. I, again, I was, I went back, I got my master's with the intention of I'm going to eventually do my own clinic. So it's, it's been quite a few, quite a few years I've been on this journey. Mm. Yeah, and so you know, at what point into that journey did you think I'm going to open and how long did it take you to come up with a concept and then maybe find a location and then actually start building or refurbishing a place? Right. So I guess it would have been like, I think I mentioned at the beginning, I was waiting for our scope to change um, in British Columbia for nurse practitioners. So that happened last August. And pretty much as soon as that happened, the day that it changed, I immediately started looking for a place locally not not anything i wasn't like actively out there canvassing but i was just keeping my eye on things and within the month um a, a small little two two room area two room like clinic ish came up uh and i immediately was like hey this is reasonable i could work here i could i could do this out of this spot so i am lucky enough that my husband is actually a contractor i said he is, has a business degree he's a contractor so he was able to build me my entire clinic, which was great. Mm. And he built it within a couple months. Um, I had a friend, I did it all through a lot of friends. I had a friend who was a designer and I just, I know what I like. So I said, okay, I like wood and I like greens and I like trees and I like to feel kind of natural and and warm. And and that's how we set it up in terms of the design. Um, And then more recently, I went through a brand strategy with a, a brand strategist who is also a friend of mine, but an excellent brand strategist. And we went through the entire story. Like, And, and most people won't have the opportunity to do this in terms of branding. A lot of people mm-hmm. think branding is, okay, you have a logo and you have a couple colors and you have a font that you like. But really branding is about the story of, of your brand and of your company and how it makes people feel and, and how they associate with it. So we really got to dive deep into that, started working on that in January of this year and did a whole 
brand strategy deep dive, uh, finished that about a month or two ago. And then we just did a whole visual rebrand. So that will be launching in the fall. So there was, um, there was a lot that went into it, but I would say kind of start to finish from when I would say, okay, we're going to do this. And now here we are, we're kind of almost at the point where we're launching the brand. It's been about a year. Mm. Right. And what have been the most difficult hurdles to overcome or, or things that shocked you the most that you weren't prepared for? Or was the list too long? All of them, <laughs> all, all of them everything. Right. I, I think I think how little work I thought it was going to be. Not yeah. that I didn't think it was going to be mm-hmm. a lot of work, but I just felt like, okay, all right, well, we just have to get through this build. And I mean, when we were building it, like I, I was there, I was in there, I was, you know, making the concrete wall, I was helping hang the wood, I was putting, you know, toilets in, whatever it was, I was doing part of it as well. Um, so I think the amount of work that had to go into that was shocking. And then I thought, okay, well, as soon as it's built, like it'll be so much easier and I'll, I'll have way less to do. And then as soon as it was built, then suddenly, oh, okay, well now I have to really focus on on getting my system set up and and making sure that my my EMR is working properly and making sure that my front end staff is trained on the, the patient journey and and how to how to actually do these PLs and making sure I get the right team in place. Mm-hmm. And then that was done. And then now it's like, okay, well now we're doing this brand strategy and this launch. And it's just it's kind of always something, yeah. right? I think that that was the biggest thing is just there's there's so much to do. yeah. And there are days where I still wake up feeling like, oh my God, there's way too much stuff to do. I'm entirely overwhelmed. And I just lay there anxious in bed for like an hour, <laughs> like not yeah. even knowing what to do with myself. <laughs> and, and so business is what, uh, is, how old is it now? Like you're coming into two years, is it? Like where where are you at? Um, we're coming up to just, just about a year. Okay, all right. Planet. So I've always given the analogy that like a business is a living, breathing entity. It's almost like you're giving birth to a child and it's going to demand all of your time and attention and give you sleepless nights and anxiety for the first two or three years probably until it sort of finds its feet. All your systems and processes are sort of nailed down. You've got a good team around you. You're sort of in your groove. But until that point, it's it's quite demanding and, and nothing really prepares you for it. So until uh, it's toilet trained. <laughs> and did yeah. you have your business coach on board at this point, or were you sort of flying solo at this point? And and so what was the uh, what was the impetus to actually reach out and, f- and find this person? So I brought her on. I started maybe kind of doing the work in August, and mm. I did bring her on in about September October. So it was very very near the beginning. Yeah, um, good. I think for me, I just, I know nothing about business and yeah. and I know enough to, to, you know, do what I can. And then when I don't know what I'm doing, I hire out. I, I don't know how to be a lawyer. Am I going to make my own consent forms to make sure that they're, they're legal and everything is good? No, I'm going to have a lawyer do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not an accountant. I'm going to hire an accountant and to, and to hire good people. So right off the bat, I, I tried to, you know, recruit my husband and I was like, hey, <laughs> stop stop being a contractor. You can, you can leave that company. You don't need to do that. Come, come work with me and, and work for my company and help me with that. But I mean, he just obviously couldn't. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, I will find someone who can and, and find someone to help me through this and teach me the things I don't know. I did consider going back to school to get an MBA. Mm-hmm. Like, well, maybe I should go back and do two years and get an MBA. And then I thought, well, you know what? No, that'll just set me back another two years. So I'll just Bored my way through this on the own, but yeah, I, I did. I did need to find someone to help me because as soon as my accountant started talking to me about some of the stuff, and my lawyer started talking to me about some of the business stuff, I realized I was in way over my head. Mm. Yeah, I, I would argue that setting up a business and having it be successful is basically a real MBA. To be honest yeah, with you, exactly. I mean MBAs are yeah. great. They teach you a lot of the theory and and the way that you should think about things and sort of different 
calculations on how you sort of manage, you know, calculate cash flow and forecast, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of like being on the ground and all the sort of intangibles that you can't learn in a textbook, you know, communication, and we'll get onto this in a minute, you know, picking staff, dealing with personality conflicts, difficult patients, like no MBA is going to teach you that. And so for me, if you can get through the first two or three years of your business and, and do it fairly unscathed, then you've probably given yourself an unofficial MBA, MBA to a certain yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I ask, Absolutely. do you, do you employ a practice manager or a clinic manager or are you basically that person with a receptionist? Like how are you running the, the day-to-day, I guess, admin whilst you're injecting? So, yeah, that's a good question. So initially it was just me uh, by myself. We did a soft opening of the clinic in November of last year. Uh, I was just just myself running everything, taking money, doing all the things. And then in January, I brought on a receptionist and I said, okay, I would really like you to move kind of more into an administrative office administrative role. So I spent the last six months um, she worked with my business coach. I I showed her how to do the ins and the outs and all the different things. And then um, we stepped down as the office administrator. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, she wanted to stay on. She was doing some procedures um, for, for medical aesthetics and she wanted to stay, stay on doing that. But she said, you know, I realized I just, I hate doing all of this. I don't like doing any of this office stuff and this isn't for me. And, you know, I learned a lesson there. I learned that if I'm going to invest time and money into someone learning how to do all that, that I really need to have a contract in place saying that they're going to stay for X amount of time or that they're going to pay me back for the amount that I've invested in them. And and even though I thought, oh, she's going to stay with me, she said at the beginning, oh, I'm going to stay with you. Like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to grow with you. I don't see myself leaving. It was quite a shock uh, when she did. So now it's kind of back to being me a little bit. <laughs> but um, she, because she's still staying to do some of the, uh, the procedures, she is helping out. She said, I'll help you with the transition. And I've now hired someone else into that role of receptionist. Uh, that she's going to learn now, and then I am going to slowly kind of get her into mm. that office administrator role. So, so good point, actually. And David, maybe be able to help mm. us here. So, you know, I've worked in numerous clinics, and and the reception or front of house does seem to be a revolving door to some extent. Who is the right person for that? Because <laughs> often, and and this is nothing against people who do that job, they often come from pretty varied, sometimes relatively unskilled backgrounds, yeah. and they're almost just put there like oh you'll be okay for a few months there's yeah. no long-term strategy to retain them upskill them and give them a career path yeah so how do you it's a difficult one and finding the appropriate person for any role is difficult especially these days where it's such a fickle world that we live in if you think back to your parents or your grandparents who'd stay in the same job for like 20 or 30 years and that was considered normal mm. And it seems like every generation that passes the longevity in, in a career or a job is shorter. I mean, for me, I would say that if someone stayed in one of my clinics for more than two years, they were considered a veteran because <laughs> things move quickly. We live in a world now of instant gratification where people want everything yesterday. Um, there's in some instances like a reticence to sort of put in the hard yard because life's been so easy. So I think we have, I think we've got some cultural challenges, just especially in the Western world with mindset and people being comfortable with sort of putting in the hard yards and, and, and seeing things through. So I think that's, that's a challenge that we all face as business owners. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to selecting the right person in the first instance. And a lot of that starts with very honest conversations. A lot of the time in my experience, people will talk, you know, they're desperate to fill a role. 
and they'll almost convince themselves that the that this person's the right person and, and not really getting to know who that person is as an individual, what are their motivations in life, where does their career, what does their career look like for them? Mm. And then if you find someone that's good, how do you hold on to them? If they if this, if this, if this is their dream job, how do you hold on to them? Because inevitably if someone's really good at what they do, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, someone's going to come along who walks into your clinic that says, oh, Marissa's got this great receptionist. She'd be great for my business or she'd be great for my friend's business. And all of a sudden you're getting people approaching or trying to poach someone from your team with a better opportunity. And again, you know, it's the mind, you know, the grass is green on the other side type of mindset. People are always looking for the, for the next best thing. So, um, so that's the first thing that will happen is that they'll, they'll, leave for a better opportunity or they'll realize that uh, they want to do their own thing. I see this a lot with injectors, not so much receptionists, but I guess injectors who come on into the business and think to themselves, well, I could do this on my own. And so I think a lot of it starts with the initial very honest conversations about what your expectations are as a business owner and what it's going to take for this relationship to be successful and, and taking the time to get to know this person. A lot of the time you walk into an interview and you know, you'll sit there with a list of questions that are really just box ticking exercises. You know, tell me about your skills with this particular situation or tell me a time when you've achieved this. And you're like, there's a lot of questions that we've sort of been programmed to ask, but you're not really getting to understand who the person is as an individual. And so a lot of things that I learned in my career from hiring people was trying to just dump all that kind of stuff because I mean, it should be, if you're looking for an injector, for example, you, they need to have the right qualifications. You want to make sure they've got the, you know, certain experience. But beyond that, I want to get to know who you are as a person and what motivates you and what drives you. And are we going to fit together? Is our team dynamic and our, our personality is going to work? Are they going to work with other people in my team? So there's a lot of sort of intangibles that we kind of overlook. And I think getting to know the person is important, finding out what their motivations are and, and, and saying to them, you know, I want to hire someone for the long term. It's really important to me that we've got continuity with our patients. Mm. It's important to me that we've got familiar faces and I want to create a, a long-term team. So what are your career goals and how can I help you achieve those? How I mean, can we work together? Do, do you think someone maybe would be suited for that role who has experience as a PA or someone who is already used to those tasks I mean, it's an advantage. I mean, for me, it's always been about trying to find the right personality. I mean, mm. you can't teach someone to be a nice, bubbly, outgoing, reliable, ethical person. That, that's, that's something that's not your job to do. That was their parents' job. That's not, that's not your job. And so for me, I want to know who this person is. What are their values? What are their ethics? What do they want for themselves? And from there, you can see whether it's being a good fit. So you might go through a lot of interviews before you say yes to somebody. And it's getting harder and harder. Good, good people are definitely hard to find. It is, it is the limiting factor in, in most businesses and it is the bane of every business owner's existence is staffing because people are unreliable. They're, they're, they're not predictable sometimes. They make emotional decisions. You've got lots of personal factors that can dictate someone's state of mind or things that, you know, goals that, that change. I might meet someone who takes their life in a different direction. So mm. it's impossible to, to sort of guard against it entirely. But I think going through that process of taking the time to get to know someone and making sure you're aligned and putting strategies in place, you know, whether it be some sort of profit sharing arrangement for them, if, if, if their goals are sort of monetary or, or really sort of looking at setting up a something uh, long-term for themselves, it's, it's, it's a really difficult one. And I, I certainly don't have all the answers, but those are the strategies and, and the thought processes that I've kind of developed for myself over the years that 
that uh, unfortunately only came to me in, in sort of the later years of owning clinics. I wish I would have known this stuff early <laughs> on because you sort of follow all the, the tried and tested strategies that people sort of tell you. And for me, that, that's what worked well for me. But it, it, is, it is really hard, especially when you put a lot of time into, into someone. And I think as well, you know, if you're going to be putting in resources, a lot of it is money into training someone, there needs to be the relationship that's underpinned by a contract that gives people accountability, that gives you protections as a business owner. Yeah. So that if someone mm-hmm. does the wrong thing, that you do have some recourse, that, you know, there is a, the capacity for you to recover monies that you've spent on them. So... I don't know. I've taken a long time to answer the question. I've just more got thoughts and answers, to be honest with you. Well, back to Marissa then. So you found someone to replace the the girl who left. So what was her background and what have you said to her that's different this time? Um, you know, I, I was actually willing to take my time to hire. As you, as you mentioned, you mm. know, I, I think I, I listened to a book, an ebook once and it said, you know, hire slowly, fire quickly. Yep. Um, that was just, you know, a, a way to do business. So I said, okay, I'm going to set myself up. I'm going to take time. You know, it's summer. Um, here in the summer, aesthetics always dies down a little bit. Everyone's on vacation. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take my time. And luckily with my second round of interviews, um, I found someone, she had, you know, sales experience. He had previously worked in an aesthetics clinic many years ago, a very well-known one in Vancouver. Um, and it looks like she had a good track record in terms of, of length of time at her job. So it wasn't like, oh, she was here for six months. She was here for two years. You know, most of her job, she'd been at for five years plus. Uh, she had owned her own company. So she had all the experience that I wanted. And then when we did the interview, my um, my office admin who was stepping away did the interview with mm-hmm. me. And like, for me, it's about a gut feeling mm-hmm. a lot of the time, yeah. you know, it's, it's, Hey, do, do I like this person straight off the bat? And I, I usually know that about people when I meet them in, in social situations. Like I, I like you or there's something about you that rubs me the wrong way. Mm. And just right away, I could tell we liked her. And and whether or not this is appropriate, one of the questions we actually put on her, <laughs> her um, interview was, do you like wine? And, and do you like to go wine touring? Because that's what we're doing next weekend. Like, are you going to come with us? <laughs> but, um, you know, to, just to kind of see, like, what do you what do you yeah. do in your in your spare time? That was yeah. one of the things we wanted to know and, and what's important to you. And, you know, she talked about her son and and how she wanted to, to step back from where she was because she was getting taking too much time away from spending with her son um, and, you know, kind of the hours she wanted and, and what she was looking at doing and where she was looking at going. So we definitely did explore those avenues in terms of where she wanted to go career-wise. And I mean, we spent about an hour with her and, and just right away, I could tell like, I've got a good feeling about you. You know, I, I think our, our personalities click. Um, you have all the skills that I'm looking for. And and just right away, I was like, I think that this is the one. My previous office administrator agreed with me. She's like, yeah, I think she's going to fit really well with the team. Right now, we're a pretty small team, but that's really important to me is that they we all fit together and, and we all bring something different and, and we all need to get along because it's about creating that culture. Mm. And Something that's that's quite interesting, and I did mention that I just did a, a big brand strategy um, for for my clinic, is that you know when you figure that out, you kind of get this. All right, this is the voice of the brand. This is what we believe. This is how we talk. This is our our vision. This is what we want for our patients. And it made it really easy to kind of decide like, does this person align with this brand? Because now I have a a guide essentially. It says, hey. This is who you are. This is what you stand for. This is this is the way you talk to your patients. And this is the way the company does it, not necessarily me. And so if I can find a person that kind of fits into those those categories, then I know that it's someone who's going to align with the brand and and therefore align with the team because yeah, we all fit into them. For sure. So do, do you have like any retention strategies that you've sort of developed for yourself or for your, for your business rather that you have implemented or looking to implement? 
So I, I don't have anything at this particular moment, but I, I was looking at doing some sort of profit sharing. So yep. I have been exploring that yep. um, in terms of my, my lawyer, exactly what that would look like. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you know, after a certain amount of time, having having some profit sharing options, because obviously at the end of the day, that's that's really going to help people be committed cool. to your company. Yeah. Um, obviously, usually when you work in this industry, there's a commission base that goes along with it as well in terms of sales. So we do have that implemented. But yeah, looking at something yeah. that as the company grows... Um, you know, obviously they want to push the company to grow because there'll be that opportunity for them. Yeah. Cause you've got, uh, I guess, aligned interests commercially. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you thought about, and you might not have yet, so this might be a very a short answer from you, but have you thought about what your eventual exit strategy may be from the business? Obviously you're very young. You've got plenty of years ahead of you. Uh, I'm not that young. Yeah. Well, the treatments <laughs> are working. Okay. You look great. Uh, <laughs> Uh, have you thought about what that may look like when you decide at some point, and I'm not sure if you've got kids, family, have you got a lot of commitments outside? I oh, know you've got a partner. Okay. Yeah, I've got a partner and I've got a tortoise. So, okay, you know, tortoise. We're, okay. We're, we're good with that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've chosen not, not to have kids, not yeah, to have sure. a family because we both really enjoy our careers and, yeah, of course. and all those like, yeah. lovely things. But obviously that that's always um, in the back of in the back of my mind. So yeah, the, the goal for me is to set this up um, to a point where I don't necessarily have to be there all the time, yep. um, which is why I'm looking to bring in another nurse practitioner to work opposite me. Yep. And eventually I want to be taking my injecting days down to, you know, one to two days a week, yep. uh, which I'm, I'm hoping to do by about this time next year mm-hmm. so that I can step away from that, uh, focus on the training um, academy that we haven't really talked about too much, but um, yeah, step away from the company and then have it. So it's essentially running itself eventually, mm-hmm probably sell it um but not without maybe perhaps having opened a couple other locations first Mm -hmm. so kind of my overarching goal and overarching dream and i mean it's it's huge like i yeah good way up there but (laughs) you know eventually have have this training academy where as as people come through and they train and they learn how to do aesthetics then i can handpick providers out of there and essentially almost offer them like, hey, would you like to come on? And, you know, maybe you're you're in, in Kamloops or whatever, a different city in BC or even a different city in Canada. And you can join into the brand, into the family of the clinic, um, you know, knowing that you're going to, to match up with this and then have your own clinic. But essentially, you know, your advertising is done for you, your your standard operating procedure is done for you, your EMR is set up for you, like everything is, is here and ready Kind of like a franchise, but not really a franchise. I don't want to say franchise because that doesn't sound good yeah. when you talk about medical aesthetics. Yeah. But, you know, it, it would be picking people that are very specific um, and that would fit into mm. into that goal and potentially expanding that way. Uh, and then, obviously, eventually probably selling the yeah. company. Yeah, yeah it's known as... In the future. Yeah, vertical integration, I think. It sounds good. You like You sort of basically got your own pipeline of new yeah. team members and so yeah you can handpick who's the best and, and offer them opportunities i think it's great and there's a few people we've spoken to that have audrey uh, yeah doing the same. Think, does laurie do the same thing i'm not possibly sure. yeah I'd, we haven't it's it's yeah i think it's intelligent because you know and we sort of touched on this early in the podcast it is the wild west out there you don't know who's walking into your door in terms of what their skill is what their thoughts are on safety protocols if they're aligned aesthetically it's kind of really tough to know so uh, if you've got your own training situation set up where you're essentially educating people from the ground up in your mm-hmm. approach to things, it's it's a great benefit. I got a question. Uh, what is your point of difference of your clinic? It sounds great plan and, and I love your passion and energy, but why are you different to 
other providers? What are you doing so differently? Are you asking what the X factor is? Yeah, what's your X factor? Yeah, there you go. What's the X factor? Yeah, that that's a great question. So, you know, we as I mentioned, we did this whole brand strategy. And and one of the things that we focus on um, at, at my clinic instead of, you know, everyone talks about confidence and mm. they assume that your patients are lacking confidence and we're going to give them confidence. We're going to inject confidence. Um, you know, we talk more about empowerment. So, mm. you know, you're you're already confident. You're already beautiful. You, you're already all of those things. And we're just going to kind of empower you to help you really reach your, your best potential. So I think taking that attitude and putting that forward is a little bit different than how the other clinics um, around here are positioning themselves. Mm-hmm. So that is one. And then the other one is, and and, and I think there's a couple of clinics that are, are doing a little bit of this now, but, you know, really moving towards that, that focus of, of full facial balancing and more of a holistic care. I mean, I'm not a dietitian, a nutritionist, a sleep expert or any of those things. But when people come in, that is part of the consult. You know, we talk about, hey, what's your stress level? Like, how are you sleeping? What's your nutrition like? And I have a referral network mm. with, within my community where I say, okay, you know, I really think that this could benefit you. If you're coming in and you're talking about anti-aging and, and you want to do these things, you know, you really got to be healthy on the inside. So really taking the entire patient into account and really taking that holistic approach yeah. Uh, is another thing that I don't think any of the clinics are doing in my area. And then same thing with the face. You know, if someone comes in and they just want an isolated area, well, I want my cheeks, I want my lips. There's obviously always a discussion about, you know, we really have to keep it looking balanced. We want to keep it looking natural. Um, and this is why we get into, you know, doing the full face thing. If, if if we're doing cheeks, we have to look at the other areas. Is this going to look good? Is this going to look natural? Um, and are these results going to be, you know, subtle, but still enhancing? So I think, really all of those things kind of make up the x factor yeah yeah that's great yeah i i'm I'm often i often wonder how much of that philosophy hinges on you rather than can you train that quality across a number of you know uh clinics if you eventually have them because it's going to depend on your drive your passion your knowledge to do some of that obviously you can have a manual that you teach people in your training course but it's often hard to to oh. scale quality. It's for finding the right people, right? Yeah. And this comes back to, you know, are you aligned on on these things? And I think it's really intelligent, Marissa. I mean, I think that that's – I was having a conversation with, with a client yesterday uh, in, uh, in Europe and they were talking about the fact that there's a, a trend for reduction in filler volumes. People are starting to pull back on the number of mills they're shoving in their face or they're shoving in other people's faces. And people are starting to recognize that there is a holistic approach needed to to looking good, which is also feeling good, making sure all your other sort of indicators uh, are sort of being looked at. You know, are you sleeping enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you wearing sunscreen? Uh, you know, the whole sort of biohacking um, sort of industry that's sort of been around for a while but seems to be getting a lot more attention at the moment. So I think it's really intelligent because they they fit together. There's a, there's a synergy there. And uh, that's the way I think it's eventually going to go. Is you going to, you know, more sort of looking at things from a preventative perspective? I mean, medicine's typically being done from a reactionary perspective. You go to a doctor when you're sick, not when you're feeling mm. well. And you now we're talking about things like collagen banking. So rather than treating someone's face once it's depleted and trying to restore it, is how do we proactively keep you looking and feeling good rather than trying to deal with it once we've already got an, an issue. Mm. So I think that, I think that's really intelligent to sort of start bringing in that element into your practice. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about your training school 
Uh, but let's go into a bit more detail. So firstly, what's it called and why did you set it up? Because a lot of injectors have this ambition, whether it's mm. financial or um, academic, to, to, to embark on it. But it's actually quite yeah. difficult to set up and do it consistently and divide your time and, and you know find staff to run that as well. So just give us the background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, in short, it's called Maya, M-A-I-A, but that stands for Medical Aesthetics and Injectables Academy. Um, and then the reason I, I started doing it, I, I touched on it briefly earlier, but essentially I was going out into these clinics. I was training, um, I was doing two-hour trainings with all these clinicians. A lot of them were brand new and they were really coming um, in with a very point-and-shoot approach. Mm -hmm. My patient came in, they wanted cheeks. This is how I do cheeks. Uh, this is how I do lips. And, and they weren't really looking at the patient as a whole. They weren't actually assessing the patient. And this is actually, I think, one of the only areas of healthcare where we're, we're not actually taught, like, assess your patient first, then make a plan, then do the treatment, then reassess your patients. And I, I think it's quite interesting that, you know, that, that kind of medical model of how we do things hasn't really applied to aesthetics uh, in the past. However, it's starting to now. So that was really one of the big drivers is I said, you know, these people are coming out, they're not learning, you know, anatomy properly. They're not learning the physiology of aging properly, which is how you should be basing your treatment plans. Um, you know, beauty ideals, all the different things, all these tools we now kind of have at our, our fingertips that we can use. Uh, a lot of people aren't learning them. They're just learning to go in. This is what the patient wants. This is how you do it. Yeah. Um, not learning to say no and to do that assessment and to assess for you know body dysmorphia and all those types of things. So I really found that there was a lack in that. So I wanted to build something that was a little bit more all-encompassing. Uh, additionally, things like business. Most of us out there are running our own business to some extent. And, and, and though that's not really offered. So that's something that we have in the pipeline right now is actually my business coach is creating a business coach and my brand strategist is putting in on that for, for branding. So we're going to have something coming out right away, just offering for that, like business for injectors, um, just kind of all those little pieces that that we're missing out of the other training program. Yeah, that's great. A question that, that often comes up um, from injectors or doctors, business owners in this space is around what services they're going to provide. So obviously you've got your obvious ones like your toxins, fillers and, and sort of collagen stimulating treatments. But beyond that comes things like devices, skin tightening, fat freezing, lasers. La lasers, like, you know, resurfacing kind of stuff. So do you have any devices in your clinic? And if you do, how did you sort of work out which ones were going to work for you? And if you don't, are you planning to? <laughs> so I currently don't have any devices. Okay. Um, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of went into this and, and I, you know, devices, I, they're expensive. They are. Let's, let's say that they're, they're very expensive. And so I just wasn't really ready to in, invest yep. in a device yet. Uh, so right now I focus on injectables and yep. just basic skin treatments. We do, you know, microneedling, chemical peels and skin care. Um, however, there is a laser device placed in, in the same building as me. So where I'm located at right now, I actually have a non-compete uh, that the landlord has put in place. He doesn't want competing businesses within the same building, which I'm fine with mm -hmm. because I have two treatment rooms. I don't really have room for anything right now. Uh, so right now I just refer out to to the other place, the, the laser place in the building. Um, however, if I do open a second location, which is kind of in my two-year plan, mm -hmm. then I would like to bring in devices at that point. I think for me, what would probably make the most sense would be something that would, you know, kind of be a good all around it mm -hmm. device. 
uh, RF microneedling. I know that there's a couple that you can deal with. Melasma, acne uh, can help with skin tightening, which I think are really a lot of the prime concerns with anti-aging. Additionally, because I'm here in the Okanagan, it's very sunny. It's the same for you guys. A lot of sun worshippers, uh, something like an IPL or a BBL would also be a good foray into lasers because a lot of people have that, that sun damage that yeah, they're presenting with. So really kind of picking something based on the people that I'm serving and mm. what their main concerns are. Um, I would probably also, before bringing anything in, do a little bit of market research within, within my own client base saying, hey, if I brought this in, would you get this treatment? Is it something you'd be interested in? How much would you pay for this? Even just asking, you know, 10, 15 clients that question uh, would be a really good way to, to figure out if, if that's something that would actually work in your clinic before doing it. Yeah. Having focus groups is 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 a good one, as you said. Like got that that reliable sort of core number of clients that give you really honest feedback. Always good to sort of use as a, as a sounding board. What about things like uh, uh, relationships with like plastic surgeons or dermatologists for things that sort of fall outside your wheelhouse? So someone that comes in that wants to achieve a certain outcome that's just not going to be doable with a needle and they might need surgical intervention, or if someone needs like a you know full facial resurfacing, have you got relationships? set up with, with those absolutely. sorts of specialties. Yeah. Cause that's kind of powerful too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really important to, to maintain a good community. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm in, I'm in a smaller city, if you will. And I know most of the injectors in the city. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of them. We go for lunch together. We, we spend time together. I've, I've been to one of their weddings and baby showers. So I think it's important to cultivate those relationships and keep them so that you can refer out um, when when it's not your specialty, for example, and I know a lot of people, I, I personally, I do non-surgical nose jobs. Some people don't. So I do have, you know, friends of mine who refer their patients over to me for, for that more advanced injection. Um, the clinic that I used to work for was owned by a plastic surgeon. So I maintained a good relationship with him when I left. Uh, so I refer out to him. And then I actually worked with a dermatologist for a little bit. So I refer out to her as well. I have um, someone who specializes in, in hormones. Uh, within the community that I know. So I have them to refer out to as well. Um, and then a cosmetic dentist that I refer out to as well. So I definitely have have a few of those relationships just because I say, hey, look, if this is what you're interested in, you know, this will enhance your results or perhaps mm. you're not a candidate for under eye filler, you really need a lower bluff. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to send you over here and then come back and see me and we'll talk about what we can do. That's awesome. Um, I want to wheel you back to your training school. How do you divide your time between clinic and there? So, I mean, how often are your courses? Do you have an online offering where you're making a bit of passive income once you've obviously, you know, got the online material? And do you find that injectors are difficult to part with their money to invest in training? Like that's a problem that we have here in Australia where people know I mean, again, they don't really recognize the, the work and money that you've put in to put on the training and the investment of your time to deliver that for them. So a few questions there. Yeah, yeah. How do I divide my time? Well, I don't sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> barely at all. Uh, no, I, I work a lot. And, and right now, I think that that is one of my issues is I just kind of, it's nonstop. I wake up and I work and pretty much I'm laying in bed at 10 p.m. and I'm still on my computer doing things. I think that that is just kind of to be expected for the first little while. Yeah. So currently, I'm in my clinic. I'm there injecting three days a week. Uh, I have my medical esthetician there two days a week. And then I'm looking to bring in another NP to work opposite me three days a week so I can go down to two. Yeah. And then I can focus a little bit more on the training aspect. Uh, right now, I have an online foundational neuromodulator course, which probably we started 
filming about a year and a half ago and I just got it online maybe about a month and a half ago. So it is a lot of work, (laughs) you know, the editing and then the going through everything, you know, not only just making the course itself, but then the actual filming of the course and getting it online and loading into the learning management system and getting all your resources set out. So that's what I'm currently have on mind is that foundational course. And then, as I mentioned, I have a business course that has some branding stuff in it as well, as well as social media stuff that will be coming. And then I have a foundational uh, dermal filler course that'll be coming after that. And then I'm going to have an anatomy course and a dermatology course that are also being made right now. Um, I do delegate out. Uh, I've hired a dermatologist to do the dermatology course. Uh, I have a plastic surgeon helping with the anatomy course. Obviously, I, I can't do everything and I'm not an expert in those areas. So I'm not going to pretend to be. I'm going to find someone who is yep. and, and have them so that students can get the best learning experience. So ideally, I would like to have most of the theory online within the next few years so that that can be passive income and that so people can access it from anywhere in the world. And then the in-person parts, I do have instructors that are, I have a couple instructors throughout Canada. So I've got one in Toronto, I've got one in Edmonton, I've got one in Vancouver. Uh, so if people do the online courses and then they want to do the in-person parts, they can either come here to Kelowna. I run a small group training once a month or they can book a one-on-one or yeah, book a one-on-one with me or one of my instructors in their respective cities. Yeah. So currently that's what we're doing. Do you mind me asking how much it costs for a one-to-one? I'm just curious like what you value that as. Yeah. So the one-to-one, so depending on how many days you're doing. So for the initial day is uh, $3,500. And then each additional day on top of that is 3000 So depending on the course you're doing, whether it's a two-day or a three-day, then it's really going to depend. And then on top of that, on those days, um, I book models in and the models are also paying a, a discounted rate for their treatment. Yeah. Okay. So I'm rapidly trying to find out what that is. It's about 3,900 Australian. I mean, for a one-to-one, for I'm assuming for a whole day, is it a whole day? It, yeah, it's about six to seven hours. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know what else people expect for that time for a one-to-one, but yeah, here in Australia, it's hard to get people to to invest that, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, I think I think, mm-hmm. I think it's changing. I think more people are starting to recognise that if you want to be at the top of your field, you need to invest in yourself. It's not just about going to conferences and yeah. having a social a social time that's, you know. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I'll flip it back to you, yeah. actually. I mean, why do you do it? Because, you know, you could be in your clinic earning double that. So so yeah, why absolutely. do you do it? I, I actually love it. I really love sharing knowledge. And I find that even when, you know, being an, an educator, being in the educator role, I learn more. Yeah. It makes me better at what I do. Mm-hmm. I, I learn I learn things from people who come in, questions they ask. You know, you really have to know your material kind of inside and out in order to explain it to people in, in a very simple way and, and help them to learn it or to explain it to them in multiple ways to make sure that they're really understanding the points you're trying to get across. Yeah. So I think that not only does it make me better, better at injecting um it's just, it's just something i enjoy doing it's yeah it's, yeah it's great it's great to share knowledge with my colleagues i really like it i like i like having that back and forth i like when they ask good questions you know i, I like to be able to to talk about what i love doing yeah in terms of pricing where, where have you sort of positioned yourself in the marketplace would you be in the upper echelon of prices and how did you sort of work out where you wanted to position yourself so for the training or for my clinic oh well, well, i was asking manny for your clinic but we're in training as well sure let's 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 hit both 
Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, for the clinic, I am in the upper echelon of prices in the area that I'm in. Uh, I don't, and I don't know exactly how you guys do it there. Here, we still do unit-based pricing mm-hmm. for um, neuromodulators. And I know in the UK, they do area-based pricing. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at, at potential different options there. Mm-hmm. And then I would, and then I don't do um, syringe-based pricing. I do more of an area-based or I call them sessions. Essentially, I say, this is my suggestion. We're going to address, you know, upper face, mid face, lower face. We're going to do three separate sessions. We're going to start at X amount of dollars. Um, but I would say that I am one of the more expensive, mm-hmm. one of the like top two, three most expensive in the city. Uh, I, I base that on my level of experience. Um, the fact that I am also an educator and the amount that I put into training, I, you know, I still go to conferences and I go do trainings with, with physicians, um, that are, that are well-known. And I, I put money into that. I mean, last year, I think I spent, you know, almost $30,000 on, on educational events just for myself out of pocket. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's that, it's that continuing education, um, as well as, as the experience that, that they're going to have. That's a really good point, actually. How, Often patients will, you know, say, oh, you're really expensive or you're really cheap or, you know, depending where they go. And how do you as a business or an injector explain to a patient why you're expensive? Because you don't want to seem defensive or like you're trying to stand above everyone else who's cheaper. But you have invested $30,000 in your training just this year. Plus, you've built this beautiful Mm -hmm. clinic. Plus, you've got all the business coaching and everything. So there's a lot of value add there, but the patient doesn't really give a crap. And yet you (laughs) are more expensive than everyone. So how do you you explain that to people? Because I often think that they don't think that way. They'll just go for the cheaper one because it's cheaper, right? You know, it's it's interesting because if the patients are going to call around and syringe shop and go for the cheaper one, that's okay. They probably should go for the cheaper one because they're probably not the kind of patients that are going to build a long-term relationship yeah. with me. Um, so usually I explain it essentially how I explained it to you. I said, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time. I have a lot of experience. I work as a clinical trainer. I train other clinicians, physicians, surgeons on how to do this. So you're not paying for the paint, you're paying for the artist, yes. right? You're, you're not paying for the product, you're paying for me and my capabilities. And, and this is what I value to that. And, you know, and, and I do, I mentioned, like, I do a lot of training on my own. I go and I, I pay lots of money every year to continually better myself and become a better injector so that you can get better results and and have, have me for that. Yeah. So. I think we, we've created a lot of this problem for ourselves as an industry by commoditizing treatments, advertising them as per unit or per mil rather than an mm-hmm. outcome. It's, it's not a foreign concept to play more for more seniority or expertise. I mean, if you go to a lawyer and you want to deal with a senior partner in a law firm versus a junior associate, there's going to be a world of difference between the quality of the outcome and the level of experience of the person you're dealing with. So I think that we only have ourselves to blame as an industry for that because we have commoditized ourselves or certain parts of the industry. Mm. Um, I'm happy to put my hand up and say I was probably part of the problem being involved in, in those sorts of businesses, but you do drive this commoditized mindset and we program our patients to think like that. So it's, it's if we want to change that, it's up to us as a community to to stand by our worth as, as individuals and injectors or business owners and command the money that is warranted for the amount of time and effort and expertise that the patients are, are getting a, a benefit from. What yeah. do you think about that, Marissa? Yeah, I fully agree. And and something that I'll often say to patients, I'll say, well, when you go see your hairdresser, do they charge you for how much dye they use? Or are you paying more for your experienced hairdresser versus your junior hairdresser? And 
I think every female patient I've had can relate to that because they're all like, oh yeah, I had my experienced hairdresser. I paid $400 for if I see her her junior assistant, I'm paying $200 or whatever it is. And, and usually that is a good comparison I find for my female patients because they've all been through that with a hairdresser. Yeah. So once I've explained that to them, I find that they understand that. And again, you know, you're like attract like so yep. then they go they tell their friends they explain that to their friends so when their friends come in they're they don't expect that i mean i don't even talk to them about syringes and amounts i say yep. hey look this is what we're going to address this is what we're going to do if you ask me how many syringes i use when i'm finished i'm happy to tell you but basically what this allows me to do is you're you're paying for the results and this allows me if i need to open another syringe to get you this result you're not have to, I'm not going to have to say, oh, hey, this is going to be another $700 because I have to open this next syringe. I've already incorporated into the cost that, you know, you're going to be sitting here for an hour. I'm going to use yeah. however much product that I figured it out in my head. And this is the areas I'm injecting. And this is the amount of risk associated with it and the amount of expertise it's taken me. So I kind yeah. of set it up like that. And then that way, when I explain that to them, well, hey, I'm not going to charge you more if I have to put more in. They're very happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, going back to what you said about units and areas, like, ha- tell us about your philosophy about that and why you think is one one is maybe worse or better than the other. When it comes to neuromodulators, I think I, I like the idea of doing areas. I haven't quite figured out a, a pricing module from or pricing. I don't know breakdown for myself yet, um, but I do like the idea of doing areas better because then your patient isn't dictating your dose. Uh-huh. Um, I think if you're going unit cost, a lot of the time the patient will say, well, I have X amount of dollars to spend. Mm. Well, if your patient came in and said, hey, I need three days of macro bid for my UTI, you're going to say, okay, well, no, (laughs) you need five days of macro bid for your UTI. Like you come in, you tell me what your symptom is. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And I think that it's the same with this, right? Like in order for you to get a good treatment, this is the amount of product you need. Yeah. and that's why I'd really like to switch to that per area so that there is no argument in back and forth. Mm. Um, that ex- I mean, I get it. Their patients have a budget and I, and I completely understand that and respect that. And if it means we're only going to treat one area today, that's fine. But I think that, you know, having, having that discussion with your patient and, and making sure that they understand that like, I can't spread 30 units out over your entire face. It's, you're not going to get a good treatment. It's not going to be worth your while. So I think really at the end of the day, it, it doing per area pricing puts you back in the driver's seat as mm. the clinician, as yeah. the medical expert. Yeah. Um, the Canadian cost prices, i.e. your cost price to the pharma company, are they cheaper than America or are they similar? I don't know what American prices are. Okay. So I think we're cheaper. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. Okay. I mean, what one of the things that we have discovered as as doing the podcast and speaking to different people is that america it's quite expensive for them particularly to buy filler i'm not actually sure about toxin um here in australia it's relatively expensive certainly compared to the uk or europe and so that has driven you know way maybe why we choose to to price it per unit rather than area because we've got sort of less stuff to play with it's expensive stuff um, so that, that's just one of the things to think about. It's not as black and white as, you know, just explain it to the patient. There is obviously a cost for us as the, as the injector as well. Um, 
What about marketing? We'll, we'll quickly touch on marketing and how you do it, and then I think we'll we'll wrap this up. I'm I'm just mindful of not keeping you all evening, but you know there are so many strategies. You can do it digitally. You can do it physically. You can do it socially. What what's your best strategy, and and maybe what mist- mistakes or or maybe how have you wasted money on on marketing in the past? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so far with marketing, I think I've just made mostly mistakes. Um, it's nothing I've really fully figured out yet. Um, so, you know, I've kind of tried to go the social media route uh, and hire a social media manager. Um, but I did find that, you know, that the two or three that I've worked with in the past, they really wanted to put their own spin on how it was done as opposed to, you know, taking my voice and amplifying it. It it sounded a lot like them. Mm. It sounded a lot like their Instagram sounded. So, you know, that I found probably wasn't a good return on investment for me. Um, other marketing, you know, I've kind of dabbled around in a little bit of uh, print marketing in the in the local market. Um, but I've just started to do some digital marketing with the Academy because I do have a, an online course now. So I've just started to get into that. Um, I've done some SEO work with a company as well as, you know, some, some digital ads. So I'm just figuring out if that's a good method or not right now. And then I'm actually going to be hiring a marketing agency now that I have this new brand, now that I have this um, this beautiful new visual brand that I'm going to be launching. I don't want to mess it up. I am not a marketing expert. I, I am going to defer to someone who is an expert and you know do it that way. But as far as right now, I haven't really done much for marketing. It's been mostly word of mouth. And a little bit of digital marketing. And then I, I do have a strong social media following already. So I find that, you know, I provide a lot of education on that channel. And I think that that's really helpful to patients because they go, oh, hey, look, this this person, she knows what she's talking about. And she's getting on here and she's telling me, you know, about this and about that and giving me hints and giving me tricks. So I think that that has been helpful. Mm. Who, I mean, it, I, I'm assuming it's mainly patients following you on your Instagram, but is it really? Because you're also doing your training school. So presumably there's a lot of injectors following. And so ha- how do you mix that, both appealing to patients as well as injectors? Well, that's a tough one. And I just kind of, I, I basically kind of make posts that are specific more for injectors and I make posts that are specific more for patients. So okay. it's just a matter you're not gonna you're not gonna hit both of them with the same post. Yeah. You're gonna have to just have two different streams essentially. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Well, yeah. it's been nearly an hour and a half, yeah. but that's been fascinating. Yeah, wow. And congratulations on everything that you're doing. Yeah, I was really impressed with what you said. Yeah. I think David was yeah, as well. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you've got your head screwed on. You've uh, got some good advice and people around you. You've got realistic goals for yourself. You know who you are as an injector, as an educator. And that's half the battle is that, you know, people try and be everything to everyone. And it's just not possible. You just have to be true to yourself and attract the patients that you want to treat have a goal, be prepared for failure and uh, learn from your mistakes. And it seems like you're doing all of that really well. So again, congratulations and thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that there'll be lots of people listening to this that have found it really inspirational and educational and maybe they'll reach out to you. As I said, you're part of our our growing valued Patreon community and it's a, it's a real honor and, and pleasure to have people like you on board and being part of our community, which we're trying to grow, which is to support each other, whether you're a beginner or someone that's really advanced, that we're in this crazy industry together and we need each other to be successful and um thank you for making the time to have a chat with us yeah well thank you guys so much for having me it has been an honor and a pleasure and yeah i really really appreciate it
And talking about supporting each other, we are going to do a little partnership with Marissa. So as part of your training school that we've discussed, and it sounds fantastic, actually, if there's any Canadian or North American or even international doctors or nurse practitioners who want to train at Maya, um, you can use a discount code. So Marissa, do you want to take it away and explain what it's all about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you can use the um, IA discount code, which is IA23. It will give you 15% off. Uh, any of the courses that we currently offer, so foundational neuromodulators and soon-to-come business course, as well as any of the in-person trainings that we currently offer, which will be available um, throughout Canada. That's awesome. So um, they just add the IA23 code on the checkout as they're paying. Yeah, there's a little spot for a coupon code. Very easy. You just put it in there. I Brilliant. Guys, the um, information to how to access that will be in the podcast description. So check it out if yeah. that interests you. Exciting stuff. And uh, thank you very much again for your time. Um, looking forward to meeting you in Canada one day or at an international conference or if you decide to endure a long, painful uh, <laughs> plane journey across the equator. We'd love to see you in Sydney. So, you know, please stay in touch and looking forward to interacting with you more in the IA Patreon community. Thanks, Marissa. Absolutely. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information. 